please have a seat and enjoy this next song. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you, Shira. And thank you, praise team, for beautiful services last night. And again, today, we appreciate you so much. I saw Bobby on uh, Facebook, an answer. Where'd you go, Bobby? 
Oh, there he is. Good. All right. I, I heard there was, uh, Mary gave a response to that. Mary, did you know? For the last time, yes, I knew. The angel told me. So that question's answered for good. So uh, teenagers, be sure to see Jason. Jason, where are you? In the very back, right back there next to the back row. Uh, teenagers, you will want to see him. He has something for you that you will enjoy, I hope. And I want all the little boys and girls, young men and young women, to come on down to the front right now, all of the First Baptist Church Little boys and girls, we're so glad that you're in God's house today on Jesus' birthday to celebrate the birth of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and what we're going to be preaching on, which is the Prince of Peace. And we're going to do, we're going to have a video in just a second, but while you're coming, uh, we're going to give you one of these to take home, and it says the Christmas candy cane and Jesus. How many of you know the Christmas candy cane and Jesus have some kind of connection there? You realize that? And here's what it says. Look at the candy cane. What do you see? Stripes that are red like the blood shed for me. White is for my Savior who sent us in pure. J is for Jesus my Lord. That's for sure. Turn it around and a staff you will see. Jesus my shepherd was born for me. So I want you to take these home, and I want you to put them somewhere where you'll see them, and you'll know them. And, and Miss Pat, would you go ahead and give them out to them right now? Here's one for you. All right, there you go. And uh, always remember, when you see the candy cane, tell your friends about it, that that stands for Jesus. And one of my favorite videos ever is going to be played in just a moment here. Yeah, there we go. So I want you to look up to the screen, and let's go ahead and roll the video. came to see Mary. She was doing laundry, and then the angel just appeared, and she was really scared. So Gabriel was like, Mary, you're going to have, what? I can't, I can't say it good. Mary, you're going to have a baby. I, you're going to have a baby, and you will call him Jesus. And then Mary was like, I'm not going to have a baby yet. I'm only a teenager. I'm not married. Then the angel Gabriel told Joseph that Mary is not lying. She, you are having a new baby. And so they met up. They went to Bethlehem, which was Joseph's old town. They ride a donkey. <laughs> a camel. Oh yeah, a camel. She said, this donkey's fast. They tried to go to a hotel and they asked the keeper um, for a place to stay. The keeper said, we have no rooms, literally no rooms. <laughs> so Mary and Joseph walked away sadly, but then he said, the only place in here in Bethlehem that, that you can stay, stay is a stable. And then he just pointed the way and they followed. <laughs> When the shepherds were taking care of the sheep, then they saw angels. The angels said, a new baby is getting born, who is king of the Jews. The angels were singing. And then the shepherd said, I think we should go there and meet him. The second, I think, said, yeah, I agree with you. And the other said, yeah, me too. They had to walk through a bunch of grass and bushes, maybe have to camp out at night. Ooh. 
Then the lion heard about it, and then a star appeared. Well, we should probably follow that star. It's pointing down to the barn. So maybe we should follow it. Maybe. So the wise men went to Jesus. They gave them gifts. A stuffed animal, like a hippo one. They have at home. Some diapers, and <laughs> some wipes, and some milk, some shoes, some Jordans. Gold ring and Latimer. And I don't know how it would survive in that barn. Too stinky, too crowded, and ugh. I think he probably pooped because the room was very smelly. Thank you for coming. He's adorable. He's gonna be our best friend. I love you, and you're the best baby I ever seen. There, I said it. <laughs> the new baby is gonna change the world. Did you guys like that? Was that good? You know what? That was a funny thing, but that really happened, but not exactly like that, but it really happened that Jesus was born, and he came down because he loves you so, so, so much. He loves you more than your mommy and your daddy and your grandparents and your brothers and your sisters and your neighbors and your, even your enemies. He loves you more than everybody else loves you put together because he's God, and Jesus is God's son. Let's pray to him right now, okay? Let's bow our heads. Father, we love you, and we thank you for loving us. Thank you for Christmas Day and for what it means. God, may that truth of Christmas be alive in the hearts of all of these children, and not only for right now, not only today, but tomorrow and the next week and the next month and the next year and the next 10 years. God, may you and the truth of your son be living in their lives forever as they trust you as their personal Savior. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Go ahead, kids, and go to your classes over here and everyone else for the last uh, Sunday, uh, at least for right now. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, one more time. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. I, I split those up because in the King James it has the comma there, they're split. Uh, some translations, perhaps yours, has wonderful counselor as one title. It would still apply. The words uh, wonderful and the word counselor still applied, so, but I kind of split them up. His name should be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. And then last of all, in that chain of prophetic names and titles is the Prince of Peace. So we've studied the miracle of Jesus being born of a human mother and therefore being part human and being born of the Holy Spirit, therefore being part divine and holy and deity. We mentioned that the governments of this world will be upon his shoulder. In fact, are because he sets up kings and he removes kings and he has everything under control even now even though it doesn't seem like things are under control. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and every crown will be placed at Jesus' feet and he will be indeed and in fact the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And not just for a few years, not just for uh, the reign, the length of Queen Elizabeth, for example, but a reign that will go on for eternity. Not even just for a thousand years in the, in the millennial kingdom, but 
forth forever and ever and ever and ever. He will be the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and all government will be upon his shoulder. We spoke of him as being a wonderful counselor, mighty God, and everlasting Father. And today, we want to settle on this one last phrase, the Prince of Peace. We speak of something this world tragically and desperately needs. Uh, we speak of something that this, this state and this city really need, something that businesses need, something that households are desperate for. And individuals, individuals, maybe you, uh, maybe me, uh, need so very, very much, and that is peace. Uh, I guess the, the common question that, uh, you know, Miss United States and whatever, what do you want? Well, world peace. You know what? One day we will have world peace when the Prince of Peace comes and sits upon the throne. So he is the Prince of Peace. That's who Jesus is. In Luke 2, 14, it says, glory to God in the highest. Notice the, the placement of the words, on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Uh, not peace on earth yet. It hasn't arrived. All you have to do is open up your Facebook, look at the news for the day. All you have to do is look at the newspaper. All you have to do is turn on the radio. We don't have peace in the world today. Uh, it, it, even we, we may say we as a nation are at peace, and yet I think within mere moments, all of that can change and could change and perhaps will change. So it's not peace on earth, but it says on earth peace. That was the Prince of Peace who came upon this earth 2,000 years ago in the form of a baby king. So let's talk about Prince for just a minute. Uh, because quite frankly, when I used to read this, um, and I would read, in fact, up until very recently when I studied for this message, uh, I would think of Christ as being the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, but it always puzzled me how he was referred to as a prince. I don't know about you, how you think about that, but I, I think of the king as being, you know, supreme and prince being one of his sons, that, that type of, of an arrangement. But the word prince uh, in the Hebrew, there, there are 20 different words that are translated prince in, in the Hebrew, and there are three different Greek words that are translated. Together, they're used over 300 times in Scripture, uh, and, and they're, they're translated into English, prince. And in most cases, the title applies to human beings who are uh, political, who are royalty, who are the sons of kings, and therefore they're called princes. Uh, and so how could, in my thinking, going back with me on that, how could, how could my king of kings be a mere prince? It just doesn't make sense to me, or it didn't make sense to me. But I found out in this study that the Hebrew words for prince are interchangeable with ruler or king. So even though there's a difference in English, understand there's not a difference in the, the Hebrew. And so, for example, when Samuel referred to Saul uh, about David in 1 Samuel 13, 14, he says, but now thy kingdom shall not continue, Saul. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be captain. It's translated captain in the King James Version. In the Hebrew, it's the word that's translated prince. He will be prince over his people because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. So therefore, 
Jesus is spoken of uh, as prince. It's like David was spoken of as prince. And we know from history that David uh, became the king of Israel, the second king of Israel. So it's not in conflict. When Jesus is referred to as a prince, it's not at all in conflict with, uh, with any kind of chain of command. It's not like he's second tier or third tier or whatever. He is right up there as Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Most High, Ruler of all. He is the Prince of Peace. Secondly, Messiah, the Prince. In Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 and 26, it says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the, the, the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks, and the streets shall be built up again in the wall, even in troublesome times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself and the people of, that, of the prince that shall come. Who It was referring to, uh, at that time, Antiochus the Great, a type of the Antichrist in 198 B.C. And he would destroy the city, destroy the sanctuary, and the end thereof would be a flood under the end of the war of desolations to determine. Now, there's a whole lot here we're not going to go into. A lot of that is prophetic. You need to go to David's class on Revelation and the Hebrews to uh, get all that figured out. I need to go to that class sometime because I get confused reading uh, all of that uh, as well. But in Daniel 70 weeks, there are two princes that are mentioned. One of them is the Messiah. There's no doubt who that is. The other one is the Antichrist. And Messiah would be cut off, that is, crucified. And that not for himself, not because of himself, not because he was uh, and somehow uh, guilty of, of capital offense, um, but he would be cut off for our sake. The other prince is diabolical. The other prince is the Antichrist, the antithesis of all that Jesus is. So you have Satan, who's the anti-God, the Father. You have the Antichrist, who's obviously anti-Christ, the antithesis of Christ. And then you have the false prophet that is anti-Holy Spirit. So the whole trinity is going, to be, uh, is going to be simulated in the last days with the, the, the diabolical trinity of Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet. But Messiah, no doubt, is the prince, and again, prince means king. It's interchangeable in the Hebrew. Isaiah, the prince of peace, uh, is the title here in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, and he clearly indicates the Messiah will be the prince, the king, the ruler of peace. Uh, the last of the titles in Isaiah 9 6 is a glorious one. Jesus was born in the most humble of circumstances, not exactly like the video, but kind of like it. Again, studying for this message, I, I found all kinds of um, ideas that I hadn't thought of before that I'm not even going to go into because it just confuses the issue. We, we don't necessarily know a lot about the specifics of the birth of Christ other than what the Bible tells us. And we know he was born in Bethlehem, and we know that he was born of a virgin, and we know that he was visited by shepherds who came as a response uh, to the angels in the night sky singing glory and praise to the coming king. And we know that at some point, wise men, uh, the, the, the perhaps astrologers, astronomers, 
from Persia uh, came to see him at some point. Uh, we know that he had to flee into Egypt because of the edict of Herod to have all the uh, male babies two years old and under slain. Uh, we know those kinds of things, but there are a lot of things that we don't know. We do know he was born in humble circumstances. We do know he was not born in a palace. He was not laid in a gold crib. He didn't have soft, silky blankets. He didn't have clothes that uh, were, were lace and satin. He had, some say, uh, the swaddling clothes were, were kind of rough blankets that, or pieces of cloth that had been washed in a brine water to kill all the impurities and, and then uh, made as soft as possible uh, to go next to his uh, kingly skin. Uh, we don't know a lot more than that. We just know that he is the king of peace, according to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. But what kind of peace? Because Ukraine and Russia are still in war right now. Crime is in the streets of our own city, of every city of any size in the United States of America. There's unrest in homes. I'm amazed, and, and, and may I be, this is a sensitive subject, so I, I'm going to try to trod carefully, but I know there are conflicts in homes, conflicts in families, relationship difficulties for a variety of reasons. So it's not always warm and fuzzy. It's not always as beautiful and wonderful as we make out because we have the things that bring us, instead of peace, bring us unrest and bring us concern and bring us worry. There's unrest in the home. There's unrest in so many hearts. So many people frustrated with work, frustrated with their station in life, frustrated with neighbors, frustrated with, and put fill in the blank, so much unrest. So what kind of peace really did he bring the prince of peace I'm speaking of? The old Latin theologian discusses what he calls pacus omnimodi, which translated means the peace of every kind. That's what Jesus brings, the peace of every kind. Peace outward and inward, peace of country and conscience, peace temporal and eternal. We don't have it all fully realized yet. We don't have a grasp of it all yet. The Russians have not laid down their arms. The Ukrainians have not laid down their arms yet. The Islamic countries have not quit persecuting Christians yet. People are still having what used to be called nervous breakdowns today. People are going through all, they have all kinds of stresses, all kinds of problems. But there is coming... There is coming the peace that he promises because he is the prince of peace. He is the king of kings. He is the lord of lords. He controls everything. And one day, one day, all of the implements of war will be turned into and converted into farm equipment and different things like that. And there will be perfect peace on this earth. One of these days, there will be Republicans and Democrats will get along. I know that's hard to believe. We believe in miracles, amen? Yeah. 
One of these days, Jesus is the only prince over all this, and he is able to bestow that. He is not only the prince of peace, but he is the prince who is peace. He can give us peace with Almighty God. He can take away our failures, the things that we're ashamed of, the thoughts we have that discredit him and discredit our profession of faith. He can take away the consequences even of those things because his son bore those consequences on the cross of Calvary. Acts 5.31, him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins, the greatest peace in the whole world is the peace in our mind, in our heart, as God takes those worries and those cares and those stresses and bears them upon himself. Israel was well aware of the coming prince. They were well aware of the coming Messiah. But when he came, they didn't recognize him because they thought he was going to come as a nationalistic leader. The king of kings is going to sit on the throne, right? The king of kings and lord of lords will drive the Romans out of our country, right? That's what our king is. That's what our Messiah is. So when he came offering forgiveness of sins, they said, who is that? What is that to us? We want Rome gone. We want that nationalistic leader who will overthrow the Roman governing powers. By the way, more and more often, if you are a child of God, if you're a Christian who believes in morality and decency and, and, and passing the right kind of laws and so more and more, you're going to be called a Christian nationalist. And they're going to say it with a kind of a sour note. They're not going to say it in a good way. See, the fact of the matter is, I am a Christian nationalist, but not according to the way a lot of them uh, interpret it. A popular description is a Christian nationalist primarily focuses on internal politics, such as passing laws that reflect the view of Christianity and, it, and its role as political and social life. And, and, and some people accuse us of wanting a theocracy. Well, okay, I plead guilty. I would love to have a theocracy, wouldn't you? I, I mean, if God, in fact, is on the throne, I, I don't mean with, with any human presidents or governors or mayors. or I, I mean, I, I would love to have Jesus come down and sit on the throne and rule with a rod of iron and do everything justly and be just. I would love for that to happen. But in my brain, I know that's not going to happen right now. But I still think we Christians ought to be the salt of the earth, and we ought to be light in a dark world. Salt is a preservative. This nation is going to hell quickly because nations that forget God are turned into hell, and the further we get away from right standings and right teachings and right doctrines and right moral principles that align with the word of God, the more problems we're going to have. Even some churches are critical of other churches that are politically involved. The thought is that secular politics has no place in the life of a Christian. Let me ask you something. If all the Christians pull out of politics, what does that leave it to? The devil and his imps. We, 
And someone says, well, well, the early Christians weren't involved in political activity whatsoever. Well, we got to realize the early Christians lived under the dictatorial reign of the Caesars. This nation was built on a belief in a creator God who created all men equal. This nation was founded upon principles found in the word of God. It was not founded as a Christian nation properly, but it was founded with Christian principles in the foundation of the building of this nation. We were built in belief that there are some things right, there are some things wrong. And the things that were truly right are never going to change, and things that were truly wrong are never going to change. You can legislate the wrong and say it's right now, but it's not going to become right with God. And by the way, if we don't agree with someone, we don't have to hate them. And we shouldn't. It's not a Christian virtue to say, well, I'm against your sin and therefore I hate you or I don't want anything to do with you. That's not right. We're to love even our enemies, right? As Christians, we not only have rights that the early Christians didn't have, we have responsibilities that the early Christians didn't have. Responsibility to vote our convictions, to take a stand for what's right, to do so with love and grace and truth. Not haughtily, not in a condescending manner, but lovingly. I love this country. I've had, I have preacher friends who won't have an American flag on their, on, on their platform, and I, I don't understand that. I don't worship that flag. I don't worship the United States of America, but I thank God for the flag and the United States of America as a country where I've been able for 50 years to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ without fear of persecution. Not every country has had that. A lot of countries haven't had that. So we have a right, we have a responsibility to vote our convictions. Hey, the media descended upon, uh, upon our new Supreme Court justices when they came out for life and the right for life, and they, they said they should, they should what, what is it when you, distance, you, you recuse? They, they should, re, thank you. They, they should recuse themselves because they had a bias toward life. Hey, that media didn't come out in 1973 when there was a bias toward death. They didn't say they, these, these justices that believe in, in abortion uh, should recuse themselves because they believe in a, in a philosophy of death. They, they didn't do it that. Only when righteousness prevails do they start making new rules. I know no politician will ever bring revival. No political party will ever bring revival. However, I think we as God's children need to vote our convictions as best we can based on the word of God. And if they're going to call us names, Christian nationalist is not the worst thing that you can be called. I've been called worse. <laughs> oh, quite a bit worse. I am a Christian. I'm an American I'm a Christian citizen of America, but guess what? I have dual citizenship because I'm a citizen of heaven. This world's not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue or today the brown. 
on the horizon was, yeah, okay. So Israel waited for a strong nationalistic leader, and they completely overlooked him when he came to be a savior instead. And instead, Luke tells us what the Israel did to the prince of peace in, in Acts 3.15. But you denied the holy one and the just, and you desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and you killed the prince of life. You killed the king of life, whom God has raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. You know why they crucified the Prince of Peace? Because they were unwise princes. 1 Corinthians 2, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The princes of this world, the Herods, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders uh, that were not followers of Jesus Christ. They were the unwise princes of this world. They were the, the chief religious leaders of Israel. They had no idea of the eternal purpose of Almighty God in giving his only begotten son so that we might have everlasting life and so that we might have peace. And even though complete peace is not here yet, that, that pacus, whatever it was that I said a little while ago, I'd have to go back my notes and find it. Even though that peace is not available, there's a peace that the world can't give me that's available in my Savior. There's a peace that's available to you, to me. Do you know him? Do you know his peace? During the time of the American Civil War, a lot of Americans obviously were very distressed because of all of that. I, I talk about a lack of peace uh, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, civilly. There was a total lack of peace. And an American poet, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, with heaviness of spirit, put his thoughts into words to create a famous Christmas carol. He was the most influential American poet of his day. In fact, he was honored in Europe as, the, as not one of the outstanding poets of the world. And he brought fresh courage and renewed faith to many of his countrymen who read his poem. Here it is. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. I thought how as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Yet peal the bells more loudly and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then ringing, Singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. I'm so glad the Prince of Peace came to this world, came to this earth. And one of these days, civil peace will be here. The last physical battle will be fought. 
and God will rule and reign. But right now, right now, until that happens, I want all of us to have the peace of God in our minds and in our hearts that's available. Jesus said this, peace I leave with you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Would you bow your heads, please, together for one holy minute, just head bowed and, and listen to me for just a moment. Are you stressed? Is it hard to sleep at night? Are you tossed about with cares and concerns and worries and fears? Is peace something that seems elusive to you? It's available. It's as close as a prayer of surrender is saying to God, God, I'm in your hands. I'm yours. Whatever you do with me, through me, for me, to me, as long as it's for your honor, as long as it's for your glory, as long as it serves your purpose, then, Lord, I comply. I give in, I give up to you, myself. I have no right over myself. I have been redeemed by the blood of the Prince of Peace. God, remove the turmoil. God, put in its place perfect peace that passes all understanding. And if there's anyone here who needs to pray that prayer, do it right now. If there's anyone here who needs to put their faith in Christ, uh, what better day than on Christmas Day? We're sinners. Christ died for us. He loved us and gave, gave us a gift of eternal life by putting our faith in Him, trusting Him. Dear God, forgive me of my sin. Be my Lord and Savior. Be my God. Be my Prince of Peace. Right now, I trust you in Jesus' name. Father, whatever it is we need, we fall before you, fall to our knees before you today. Thank you for Emmanuel, for the wonderful counsel of the mighty God, the Prince of Peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? If God's speaking to your heart, God's, maybe you prayed one of those prayers, I, I want you to come down here. I want you just to say, hey, I prayed, I prayed that prayer. If, if there's something we can help you with, my wife is right here. Ladies, she'd be glad to pray with you. Be glad to help you make whatever commitment decision you need to make. I'd be glad to help you guys. Just come on. Whatever it is you need to, do it right now. As they sing, this invitation is for you. So come on. Don't wait.
was no room for Jesus the Christ child 2,000 years ago, but make sure you make room for the Prince of Peace in your heart and in your mind. You will never be sorry for that. Donna, would you dismiss us in a word of prayer? Would that be okay? And, and uh, thank you for being in God's house on Christmas Sunday. Teenagers, be sure to see Jason. Jason, check their IDs if some of these old coots come up there. Okay, all right, all right. Donna, dismiss us in prayer. Gracious Lord, we thank you for today, Lord God. We thank you for your life, for coming to us, Lord, as a child, Lord. We bless you today. We ask you to go with us today and uh, let us all be reminded today of what today is truly about, Lord God, your birth, the life you live for us, Lord. Be with everyone. Joyous today, Lord God. Be safe. We thank you, Lord. Happy birthday, Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Happy New Year.